A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Craig Houston Talks 2, uh, episode 4. And just before we introduce our guests, just to thank our support from the podcast rooms again here in Glasgow. And um, we've got a couple of guests, which is a first. Um, it's uh, Gordon and Ian from the Founders Trail, um, which teaches and educates the Rangers fans in the worldwide public about the history, formation, and early days of Rangers Football Club. So without further ado, thank you very much for coming, guys. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks a lot. Yep. So first of all, um, before we get on to the Founders Trail, two individuals who weren't friends through school or anything like that, or as, as youths, you became friends in, in your adult time. So just want to tell me how that happened and up to the formation of the, the Founders Trail. Uh, what, what happened was um, I, I had this burning curiosity for, I was a child um, about the Founders story. Um, like many Rangers supporters, we were given the fabulous publications when we were younger at Rangers in New Era. Wally Allison, but um, what we found was what I certainly found was there was scant mention of the founders. You, you would get a page, page and a half at most. And I can remember going to my dad and one of my, my uncles at the time and saying, So what happened to the, these founders guys? What happened to them? Did they become managers or and no one bizarrely, no one could no one could tell me. And always kind of stuck my mind. And uh, around about 2005, it was still there and I was still asking fellow rain supporters, and nobody seemed to know. Bought more publications. There was no mention there what had happened to them after their time at the club um, had, had come and gone. So I started um, started researching their story and uh, on their internet, etc. A couple of snippets of information, um, which are which are posted on to Rangers supporters' websites, and uh, and the reaction the reaction was fantastic. And one of the people that came back was was Gordon. Gordon, I said, look, I've been watching what you've been doing there. He said, I've got an avid interest in this as well. He fancied meeting over a beer and we could exchange notes, see where I've went, see where you've went. And that was in the July of 2007 um, at the Glaswegian Bar. Uh, we sat at a beer and exchanged notes, got our heads together and then started researching more and more. We found ourselves up in the, the Mitchell Library. Uh, a couple of years after that, well, about a year after in 2008, the journalist Gary Ralston, he contacted us and said, much the same. 
it's I've been watching what you guys have been doing, what you've been posting. He said, I've been researching the founder story, but it's my aim to pull it all together and put it into a book, the Gallant Pioneers book. So we both met with Gary, gave him what we had, he gave us what he had, and it all got pulled together. And in 2009, the book that we'd been searching for as children was eventually published um, with uh, our research. On the back of that, we then started getting requests from our support fellow supporters asking if we could take them around a couple of these locations in Glasgow. Uh, we discussed how we're going to do this, you know, and um, Gordon said, well, one of us is going to have to do the presenting and the tour guide, and it's not going to be me. So that was that was a short meeting. <laughs> well done, Gordon. <laughs> so, uh, so we organised a walking tour. We thought it would be good to do a novel idea. Do it, do it, do it, do it in foot. And uh, that was the August, August of 2009. We met at Flesher's Hall and organised a walking tour, but it just, it just wasn't logical. We got through the city centre, and there was a couple of older guys where they started struggling on the underground system up to the West End, and then some bright spark. Gordon here thought it would be a good idea to have a half-time break in a West End bar. That was the end of the first Founders Trail. We couldn't, we couldn't get them back out. You know, didn't even so, make it to Ibrox. No, no, well, we actually got across, we went across a fleet of taxis across the Creighton <laughs> Cemetery, but people were just wanting to, just wanting to go for more beer, you know, and I said, right, that was the end of that. I had employment history with um, with the bus industry in Glasgow, and I knew the guy that was that was running the city sites, you know, we talked buses at the time. So I approached Donald um, with the idea of moving it from the street onto the bus. He said, no, that's not going to happen. He says, um, there's no one where the bus is going to be in the city centre full of drunken football fans. And I said, well, I won't be like that. I said, it'll be, it'll be more it'll be more reserved. You know, it's a historical tour. Please just let us do one. And they gave us a bus. It sold out and it snowballed incredibly. And which so, year would that have been? That again, that was in the that was in the, the, the November of 2009. So the walking tour was in the, 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 the autumn. And then we tried the first bus tour in the um at the end of 2009. Again, it was we both said, look, we'll do one or two of these. It will satisfy people's curiosity, and that'll be it. And it's just it just mm. snowballed. Yeah. It's incredible. I didn't realise that he's moved on so quickly from your the first walking tour <clears throat> to the to the buses. That, that the walking tour was a good cool. idea, but but yeah. it just logistically it just couldn't happen. That was too many gaps. The, um, distance. the demand that we got, you know, I mean, we honestly did think a couple of walking tours that will satisfy the curiosity in the story. And I mean, it was never like a business idea. We never sat down and said, right, let's turn this into a business and we could do this and do that. It was purely because of the request from the supporters. And they kept coming back. And then I thought, right, we'll try the we'll try the open top bus idea. Um, again, it'll be novel running about the city centre, you know, and telling the Rangers stories we go. So you hit sold out. And the thing as well about the tours is that they're, they're ever evolving. For that first bus tour evolved and it still does it to this day. Is that as you guys just identify more yep, uh, aye, historical more, knowledge? Yeah, I stuff that it comes to and it's interesting. It gets in. I mean, there's loads of stuff we could add in, but it would just take forever to get the whole of Glasgow just in a tour. There is much, that Gordon's right, there is much, there is as much out with the tour that is in the tour that we've got to leave out because we've been out of the streets so it was dark, you know, um, telling the story. There's, there's other locations up in the West End where Tom Valance and Wallington Lock stayed and, you know, but but we managed to trim it all into a, into a tour and, of course, touching the four grounds, being Flesher's Hall, Burnbank, Kenning Park, and then and then Ibrox, of course. Um, 
Because my own memories, I think uh, twice I've done the tours, maybe about 18 months, two years apart. And it's probably just been able to, uh, you know, take input and knowledge. But when I done the second one, there was stuff that I'm thinking, did I forget that from the first time? Mm. Or has it evolved since then? And it's probably just the amount of information that's delivered. But there's the... Is the script? Is the 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 details you're discussing? Does it change? Is it fluid? Oh, obviously, definitely. I even a, a presentation script changes every other month. We'll add bits in, or we found something else and go, and, and I just put in shuffle stuff around. We've had to change on the bus tour because certain roads have been closed off. It's kind of killed a wee bit, but we get in that anyway. Don't we? We, 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 we make it fit. Glasgow City Centre, every time I go in, there's mm. new one way systems. We used to do a kind of like a loop round George Square, but that just can't happen anymore because I've sealed off both ends. So it would add an extra 20 odd minutes on the bus. The, um, the, the, the vast majority of the research, in which was done was done by Gordon, um, is more or less we say complete. It's not it's never going to be finished, you know, because every now and again a, a wee gem will come to us and we're off and running again, another door will open, you know, and <clears throat> Sometimes it's within our route, somewhere we can touch, somewhere we can add on. You know, so it's constantly expanding. So going back to the, the research, obviously back then you were doing it individually and you know, your own interests. I take it most of it was libraries. Mitchell Library would have probably been a good resource for you, but anywhere, Craig, because now now you get um, I've got accounts with the British uh, newspaper archive and that, which is cracking. They always release new stuff all the time, so there's always more stuff coming in different publications, you're getting more wee snippets of information all the time. And how, how much uh, is the advent in the expansion of the internet been to use, huge, guys? By the, huge, because there's, there's stuff that's been hidden away there that comes comes to light. There's a small example, right? I go through different newspaper archives, I went through an Austrian newspaper archive for the 1920s, and it mentions um, there was a, a huge article um, about Ibrooks and Bill's Truth in a German paper, contacted the German museum, sorry, German libraries, and they sent us a, a transcript. That led us on to finding, um, we knew there was a painting of Tom Valence in Ibrooks, like in a life-size one, and this article told us exactly where it hung, the top of the staircase and the wee stand at the end, which then says, well, try and find that painting, and that's how it's now up in the wall. So that information that. came from a it was a newspaper in 1922. So Struth became manager in 20, 1920. This case, this article, German guy came over, done it was like four or five pages. It described the dressing rooms and how they were training, how the pitch looked. And it mentioned there was, there was photographs of boxers up in the, the boardroom and all that, these famous athletes. And there was a painting by Tom Valens at the top of the stairs. That then led us on to pushing Jim Han at the time to um, search for this painting, which they found. We got it restored, and it now hangs above that, the that painting. Be, excuse me, that painting with Tom Valence's hand in cradle was found in an electrician's cupboard below the West Enclosure, lying against mm -hmm. a wall. And um, see, Gordon seemed quite right there um, that we believed it was still within the stadium, and Jim Hanna literally sent it a search party. And then it appeared, but is this what you're looking for? Aye. You know, so what, what was the, the interest of this German guy <coughs> to do in an Austrian paper? Well, did so you say? We were a world famous club then, as well as now. Do you know what I mean? There were, there were, there were, um, there were, there were 
began to go further afield. So they were, they were a famous club, and obviously the German guys that will we'll go and see what's going on. Bear in mind, we have we did have athletic meets as well, which attracted foreign athletes. So that was that, you know. But it was a, it's a crack. That I, I mean, it's a lot of it's in sort of broken English, and that we do the translate. But it is it's great to see. Um, George Livingston was a player, and he was the, the trainer at the time. And his favourite way of treating players was to launch medicine balls, <laughs> throw them at them. Right. So just things like that, brilliant wee bits of information. What I find is incredible is, I mean, we can now go up the top of the marble stairs and enjoy that, that, that lovely painting um, of Alan's. But if it wasn't for a newspaper article in German mm -hmm. in 1921 or 22, you guys managed to find because of your interest, then guys like me wouldn't be able to enjoy that painting. And that's the mm -hmm. things that I just find... That, it's, it's incredible the amount of stuff that you bring to the table that let the worldwide Rangers supporters enjoy the club see, even more. See, a lot of the wee snippets uh, uh, for newspaper articles are actually jigsaw pieces. The kind of latest update of the book talks about um, the club being called Western before, right? Um, I found an article, uh, a newspaper a match report, and it said late Western, Rangers late Western, right? This is September uh, 1873. And I was like, well, what? was that when we became Rangers? Is that was that the mystery of 1872 were called Argyle, other names, and Western was one of those names, and that's when they decided to change it. So that we think led on to something else. Uh, with an article that said uh, Tom Valance was there, he gave his vote for the name of the club. And Tom Valance arrived in the spring of 73. So all these things, yeah, I mean, it's a long-winded way of explaining why it was, right? But they all come together and it's, and it's, it's all because of that. All because we, we, we'd, had, we'd always knew, everybody knows about the debate, 1872-1873 thing. And we had the articles written by Willard and Locke. Willard and Locke played in that 1877 team. And he wrote, first ended our first match, played at the latter end of May 1872, two months after the inauguration of the club. And that's what we went to the club with. Sandy Jardin in particular, and that's when things started to change. But it'd always been niggling it is why why where is this 1873 thing coming with? And that was one of the reasons which we did we only found recently, Gordon found recently, that we've been called Western at some point during that first year, but then a vote was taken and the name got changed to Rangers. But again, another article we found was founder Peter McNeil from the 1879 AGM, and he he'd said the club had never been in such a flourishing condition since its formation in 1872. So it was definitely formed in 1872. Mm -hmm. There may have been a jump about with names, what we were going to call ourselves, you know, and whether they chose Rangers because of the dynamics sounding, you know, because as we say during the tour, a lot of teams at the time were choosing names such as Rovers and Wanderers. Yeah. And whether Rangers has been the reason we've went for that, then... So there was a suggestion, I think, a lot of people accepted that there was a book published on the 50th anniversary of Rangers, but it was actually published a year later than it should right. have, and that was a reason why right. people might have thought 1873, but this, with the change in name, that could I, be another I think, thing that's... I actually that's think that's why it was 1923, by the way, was the, the changing of the name. Um, obviously, we became Rangers in the 1873, and I think that's, that's uh, well, yeah, uh, John Allen's thinking. So when did... When did you guys find in, in enough um, evidence to go, no, it wasn't 1873, it was 1872? There's that many things. There's, we've got that many articles. Um, at, the, at the time, in the 1880s and all that, the, there's an advert in the SFA handbook 
1879. The club was formed in 1872. As an Rangers, I mean, remember that was the founders still having a strong hand in, you aye. know. And I say that that article written by Wellington Locke, who played in 1877 team with the founders, and um, the 1879 AGM report, Peter McNeil, his own words, since the club was formed in 1872. Um, I mean, there's, there's just no argument against that. So, when did the club stop publishing, putting on publications? Eighteen seventy-three. When did that sort of happen? I reckon that probably happened sometime in the twenties. I think that's when that, when the book was coming out, and there was supposed to be a review of why it was eighteen seventy-three, but it never came about. You know what I mean? John uh, John Allen doesn't even cover it in the book. Um, another wee thing as well, like Ian was talking about um, Willie Dunlop's article um, in eighteen eighty-one. That was another piece of the jigsaw that allowed us to, to know that we're called something else. Uh, he talks about a, a match against Rovers. Rovers was a team that played for, at Queen's Park and we had three matches against them. Um, they were known as the We Internationals and they were famous. There was no winners. There were three games were drawn. They played at Glasgow Green, Southside Park, at Queen's Park in, in Glasgow Green. And we found um, one of the match reports, it doesn't name any players, but a Rovers and Western match was played a draw at Glasgow Green. So that was the thing. And then later on, we had a match report with Rangers versus Rovers. It was a draw as well. So there's missing result, but that all came within that 1873, the autumn of 1873. You know, we've always, we've always been the impression, you know, that people will just say, it's just too interactional, getting their, getting their noses into books. But Rangers is that huge and plays such an important and huge role in all of our lives that we wanted to nail this down, you know, where did the confusion come from, you know, and when did the club actually mm-hmm. play its first game, you know, where were we, you know, and that, that's what's kept us going, you know, to, to, to get things, to get to get these myths blown apart, trying to get answers to questions that people have, you know. What do you think would have happened if you two hadn't met? It just seems like an internet dating thing, wouldn't it? We'll meet for a coffee. <laughs> we could be living together to do. <laughs> Morgan Miser. It's hard to say. Somebody could have come along and done what, what, what you've done, you know. Um, but we would like to think that when we get wheeled off to that nursing home, you know, that we're going to leave something behind. You know, a lot, a lot of the questions have been answered. And, um, and there's now places where people can say for certain that's where the founders lived. You know, that's where they worked. That's where we played our first few games. Etc. Etc. We, we can also as well the fact that we've added a lot of, um, we've actually added meat to the bones of each guy that, that, that formed the club. We know more about them. We can tell the story a bit more. You know what I mean? So one, of, one of the most incredible things just just on that um, was we had a picture of all, all the three the founders, but there was never an image of William McBeath and again Gordon. I like oh, okay, was, Gordon, I mean, Gordon found that, which uh, was incredible. The club had been going 140 odd years, and um, it was near no Willamette Beef picture, and Terrible. there was no picture of Willamette Beef. I was sometimes I'd actually, sad as it sounds, would finish work and jump up the Mitchell for a couple of hours because I couldn't go to the weekend with the tour of the game, or whatever. And one of the teams was up, and there was an article in the Scottish Sport, and it just mentioned that, that um, Tom Valence wasn't happy because there was a drawing of him in this publication called The Chill. I forgot that was so I was like, the Chill looked up and the Mitchell's got these hardback books, copies of the, the Chill. And basically it was just a, a magazine at the time, right, about Glasgow. But they were all bound together for each year. So started looking through them and that, got them out, brilliant. And it, 
So you've got like six months all bound together. And the very first page it tells you what's in each bit and what page it's on. And I just seen the name uh, William D. Beath. So you know, you know, and flip to the page. Sure enough, there's a there's a, a drawing of William Beath, and it was like. Must have been, I don't know how high pitched the noise was. I mean, when <laughs> but there must have been dogs up the west end. Go, oh, what was that? You know, and it was my, my phone goes and, and it says, Tell me the one thing, the one thing during the research that you want us to find. And I said, Right, I have a picture of all I make beef. What a fantastic, brilliant. But in the upsurge yeah. of that, there was, was that we obviously used that image for a long time. When Gary was writing the original book, he was in contact with the with the McNeil family, and he got the family album up with all the pictures and that, and there was loads of pictures. And I said to Gary, when we were rewriting the, the latest edition, I said, look, contact him, get some of your photographs. And then they sent him up photographs who they didn't know who they were that were in the book. Of course, this is this one of the beast picture there. And it was the picture that the McNeil family album had was obviously the picture that they gave to the publishers of the Chill to do their line drawing. This is original. Aye, wow. uh, and the McNeil family, uh, family album's got William really Beast picture in it, and that's where that picture was. And it was just brilliant, you know what I mean? It's incredible. Uh, it's, just the, it's just the background and stuff that just intrigues me. I've often said there's somebody, a guiding a guide hand up there, that's opening doors for us. We've said that often, you know, it's just incredible. Do you, you feel a lot of things just really happen in weird it has done, you know, oh. th things like that, you know, and then the matchup with the McNeil family album, the fact that the McNeil family had a picture they found of William McBeath within their album. Aye. And as we've often said, you know, sometimes just one small door can open. They had, they also had the, they actually had the picture of Tom Valens in the athletics uniform that was used for the painting. They've got that picture, that was in that Seriously? film as well, aye. And also had, who else was there? There was, um... George Gowdy's picture was in there. So right, he was obviously right. knew what they were doing and they all the the kind of players of the time and that as well that were there. Now, obviously, I think if you guys stop doing what you're doing today, you've built a legacy. Aye. And your legacy is the information that Rangers fans will hold dearly forever, eternity, hopefully. Where do you think uh, the actual tour, the Founders Trail tour will go? We would love to think, and again, it's um, we've both got we've both both got real jobs, as we've said. You know, we would love to think that at some point it could get into the tourist market. You know, and possibly with the museum opening up at Ibrox now. And I think I heard somebody mention a couple of weeks ago that the city sightseeing tour that we were talking about there earlier. That's now going to include Ibrox as a stop. Um, so whether it could evolve into that, um, that would that would be wonderful. But at the same time. It's still so popular, it's booking out weeks, if not months in advance, you know, and it would take people, maybe if they're planning a holiday well before, to book a couple of seats. Um, we would love to think that it would expand the story, because the story's that wonderful. Why wouldn't it um, get out into the tourist market? I always um, visualise it as a, as a chariots of fire type film and the founders of the club, but you never know. I'd like that to happen, that's what I'd like to happen. No for us, but I mean, that's was yeah. something, you know. Yeah, I think it was one of you guys had mentioned it, maybe said it in the tour, but it's stuck in my head that uh, Robert Duvall came and done a story in Scottish football and picked uh, a fictional one. Uh, it was probably a, a better story already. We've actually still got that in the tour commentary. You know, uh, he he hauled a film through all the way across from America. See, I did remember something. To, <laughs> to make a work of total fiction 
went all along to the greatest sport in a football story with all of all within his grasp. And he knew nothing about it. He'd done nothing about it, which was astonishing. Yeah, I mean, it is an incredible story. I was talking to Ricky about this in his podcast the other night. Rangers history is phenomenal. Even if you just took that, probably I would suggest maybe up to the opening of the Ibrox. Going that journey would Aye. take 20, 30 years. Is, is a blockbuster in itself. Well, that's basically what we cover, isn't it? That, that's basically yeah. the, the kind of... Obviously, touch out with it, but that's mainly the kind of... The, the part there we end up at Ibrox. Um as you can see there, we actually do the tour in order. So it's like Glasgow Green, Burn Bank, Kenan Park, first Ibrooks, and we've got to take to them end up at Ibrooks. Yeah, so we keep we saying we're, we're following in the footsteps of the founders, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that 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 period, there the was things that came as a surprise to us. It still come, it still comes surprise to many as as the, as the age of the boys. You know, we were the same as everybody else. That eighteen seventy seventeen with the white shirt with the star is imprinted in everybody's minds. And they look at that, you know, but that was five, six years after the club was formed. And of course, then youngsters, same as it is nowadays, they're trying to make themselves look a wee bit older, you know, and and, and they do. Um, but the age, when we found out, you know, that uh, 15, 16 year old, yep. you know, William McBeath becomes the club's first ever president at 17, Incredible. which is just absolutely astonishing. Mm -hmm. And it shows you the hands on approach that they had, that it was, that there was many clubs formed that knew, I'll say this during the tour, that. New Sport Association football exploded in Glasgow. There was many clubs formed, and it just went to the wall, kind of pretty quick within six months to a year. And, and that was all. That was something else that was always playing in my mind. Why Rangers? Why why no Queens Park? Why no Partick Thistle? Clyde? Why Rangers? And then as we started digging in um, deeper into the story, it was becoming apparent that they were working. At this what Wally Dunlop again in that article says they were training six nights a week to achieve their goal in Grail. And if it wasn't for the their um, excuse me, <clears throat> the frustration of the Sabbath, they would have trained on a seventh night. So it wasn't enough for them just to compete. They wanted to be the best at what they could do. And then they were taking up those positions of responsibility at the club. It's 15 and 16 year olds. It was incredible. So see, see back then, they were obviously young kids, started a football team. Was that was that unique or was the average age of the players they were playing against similar to their ages? No, I think they were, well, I don't know if I mean, but I think most of the established teams were playing against, so they were probably older guys. They, I think, they were really interested in keeping the team as young as possible. I'll let you tell the story about uh, Willie McNeil. Yeah, Willie McNeil, Moses, Moses' brother. He was he was gifted a ball by a John McDonald. This is a guy employed his father um, at Belmore House. That was a family home at the time. Today, that's part of the Fazlane Naval Base. So Willie had a ball. And then they went down um, Flesher's Hall and his friends, brothers and teammates decided he was too old to play. Well, he was 19. And that led to Wally storming off at Flesher's Hall and that what wonderful story. Well, if I'm not playing near as my ball. And then Gordon went on to found an article that went on to, dis uh, to tell how founder Wally McBeath eventually gave him money to get the ball from him. Um, but yeah, 19-year-old and mm. he was deemed to be too old to be playing in the team. The so one, of the, one of the reports for the 1877 Cup final, describing it. They, they got there incredibly to face Vale of Leaving, and Vale were always described as the mighty Vale. And one of the reports has said it was literally men against boys. So they must have, the other teams must have been, you know. Yeah. That, that, that game was the game that, that, that propelled the club into the next level. Without a doubt, they never won, the, never won the cup, but they played three games. They were getting carried off at the end of the game because they were such young boys against men. And that's, 
this thing we tell in the, in the tour is that um, they were known as a light and speedy because of the, the way they were moving the ball about and how fast they were and stuff like that. And that's where the light blues evolved from. They were known as a light and speedy for a few years and that evolved into light blues. And as we keep telling people in the tour, we never wore a light blue jersey. We've always worn royal blue. We give out, at the end of the tour, we give out replica members cards for 1874 and it tells you Royal blue jerseys for white knickerbockers. He's still got his white knickerbockers. <laughs> I, I love all that terminology. See when you read some of your stats and match reports, uh, and it's you know the, the knickerbockers and the hoop socks uh, and all that carry on. Fantastic. So um I think it's fair to guess that finding the McBeath picture was quite a big wow moment for you. Because I was going to ask you what's your highlights, you know, the stuff that you've uncovered. Is is that fair to say? I that think that's... I think the, the first for me, the first McBeath drawing was was a, was a wild one for myself. But there's been that many as well. I, I can't even think of the top of my head. They will come to me halfway through this. But uh, that was definitely one of the, the, the kind of the big ones, you know. Because when we were doing the the, the, the update of the book, we were looking for something to, to, to carry it as something new. And the Western one was there. But also, we also had the double whammy of having the McBeath photograph, which was brilliant for us, you know. One of, um, one of the highlights for me actually wasn't research it was um initially we, we, the founders trail finished at ibrox stadium that was the end of story and we thought well look yeah we, we depart from ibrox but the story essentially starts at flesher's hall why don't we finish it we taking the group into ibrox stadium and uh we approached the late great sandy jardin and uh, sandy said yeah by all means let, let's do one and see how it goes we took a full full bus in and then not long after that, Sandy contacted and he said, look, he said, I've got old club minute books. Um, Sandy was was, was doing was taking everything to do with the trophy room. Then done a wonderful job and he said, look, I've got old club minute books. Would you like a look at them? And we were like, is this guy serious, you know? And then he says to his, why don't you come up to Okinawa? We'll have a coffee and a chat and we'll discuss how we go forward with us. And we were like, yeah, great. And, uh, and up we went. And incredibly, and you'll be able to identify with us, Craig. That was it. We were actually sitting at the table having a coffee with him, and he got the call through that Craig White was putting the club into administration. You're at Auckland Howie? Yeah. You're at Auckland Howie. Wow. The colour drained out of poor Sandy's face, you know, and everything just stopped. And he said, I'll wait a minute here, you know, and we made the excuses and left. And But to his eternal credit, um, we went up and met him again, and and he said, would you like a look at these? And we were like, that, that would be incredible. And he said, I, I can't, it was a Thursday or a Friday, and he said, listen, I'm off the weekend. I'm not, I'm not on in Monday, but just go to the girl reception and ask for the keys to my office. They're in my drawer. Oh. And we said, are you serious? And he went, yeah. The wonderful thing about the minute books was there was a monthly meeting held, and at the first page of the meeting, it would give everybody who attended their name and address. And that, again, that was just more locations coming out you know, and we'll be eternally grateful to Sandy Jarvis. By the way, that was hilarious that day. Help. The two years... Admin was hilarious. No, the... <laughs> <laughs> that was the second but No, the, the minute books, two years pulling it back to each one. Look at that oh, there, man. look at that there. <laughs> Surprised it was in one piece at the end of it. It's astonishing. You um... can actually see, you know what's great about it as well? You can actually see um, John Allen's, he was ticking things off that were important. So you can see, oh, there's George Gowdy getting £30, that. Unbelievable. and it was all, and obviously that was his notes, just ticking. The night, the the night, the night they had the meeting to decide to move to Ibrox, the Kinney Park at the time, it's there. Mm. They'd looked at a ground in Strathbungo, um, and I think it had been noted that 
the, <laughs> the club were, were attracting a rather unruly and boisterous crowd from the Kinnan Park area at the time. And the Strathbungo residents heard the Rangers' intentions in moving there and they protested furiously. So we then turned our gaze towards the, the further west in the city. And incredibly, we moved along to First Ibrooks in 1887. I think it was two years later. The underground system opened. You know, so it was it was incredible vision with the, with the committee, the grounds committees they called themselves at the time. But all of this is minuted. You can see the night of the meeting that they sat and discussed or decided that we're going to go to Ibrooks. You know, and, and hopefully, that will say hopefully, That'll be available for everyone to see when the museum opens. Absolutely incredible history. And I take it your tour will conclude with the stadium tour and the museum tour as soon as that's opened. Well, yeah, well, we discussed that. We discussed that with the club. There's a probably the museum tour is going to get done first. We're going to ask people to come along maybe an hour earlier, um, because at the end of the day, um, again, it's not all youngsters we take around about with us. At the end of the day. People are starting to flag a wee bit. You know, some folk and to ask them to go and do the stadium tour and then go and do the museum, you know, it can, it can maybe start making it a wee bit too long, you know. So, yeah, so you would have an option of doing If the club done it right, they would ask us to, to create a, like, a voucher or something where they can just yeah. use that to go to the museum at any time they wanted to go. There's been an initial discussion had. With it's a long day, you know what I mean? Show, it is. Um, and I'm guessing that your relationship with clubs would be great because. The, what you're providing for the club as well and the knowledge ah. helps. Ah, there's good guys in there as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's like, fine. Like Natalie's been brilliant with us, by the way. She's, she's oh, good. Natalie Nairn, she's been oh, yeah. good. She's been yeah. there. She's done the tour before we knew she worked with Rangers. And that was, that was open date. She'd done the first one or something. So she's, she's been She's also done the, the foot soldier miles as a fan before she even... Yeah, right. aye, 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 aye. And back in 2016, also the club changed hands in 2015. We took John Bennett, um, Graham Park, Paul Murray was there at the time, um, ran about on the tour, um, John Gilligan, and gave them a feel. And then, it was a month later, we took, I think it was 32 office staff. Aye. About, that, that could probably do with being refreshed. And again, the club have had an initial discussion with us about getting the staff round about, you know, and giving them a feel. Um, you know, it's not just another business. They're working for, working in a Strangers Football Club. They're working for, you know. Yeah, because you, you started off the tours, obviously, with Murray era. And the tail end of his stewardship aye, club. Aye. Then we had in the middle back with Craig White and what we term as the Spibs nowadays. How did your relationship and the tours, was there any effect to them? Did you get the same level of support? Yeah, we actually did. We, and, um, before, before the administration, Circus um, hit the club, uh, Gordon Smith, um, who you've had on here, he arranged a meeting. So, look, guys, come in speak to this guy, you know, and it was the strangest thing ever. We sat there and you could just tell his mind was a million miles away, you know, and uh, Gordon, seen, <laughs> Gordon Smith seen us off the premises. We're going downstairs, I think it was yourself that says to you, how, how are things? Because rumours started to, to circulate mm-hmm. then, you know, and he said, I don't know. He said, his door's just constantly shut, you know, and um, as you know, you'll know better than anyone what happened after that. Um and there was just literally no one there. The Commonwealth Games was coming to Glasgow in 2014, and there was all sorts of office staff jumping before they were pushed. And you were literally phoning the office along to make sure our tour was, was covered, and there was a couple of tour guides who'd been arranged. There was nobody there. Just a phone ringing out. There was offices lying empty, you know, but we, we, we were on the verge, I think, maybe taking a break from it. And we got word back from a friend 
And I think to this day, it, was, it came for John Gilligan. Just keep going. Things will get better. They will. Things will turn around. Stick with it. And thankfully, thankfully we did. So when did the word come for John? Was this before Admin or after Admin? After, after Admin. I, I think it was when Charles Green got at these deals. Time, you know. And, and back then, we were... Uh, we were using the, 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 the mega store as our meeting point, you know, which we thought was a good idea. Get people in, get them checked in, and then they would go and spend 15, 20 minutes spending money on on the club. And uh, and then we got word from Mike Ashley's people that we weren't any longer welcome within the mega store. Um, so we met, we started meeting outside, and then there was a protest um, which yourself organised um, and made the passengers standing outside with red cards that we'd, been, we'd literally been sent off premises a rangers tour they've been put out eyebrooks with, with mike ashley you know it's you try to blame me <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was an incredible time it was it was a really worrying time as you know uh but now thankfully we've come out we've come out the other side yet yeah. we were talking we were talking about that earlier on when was the march we can in park to eyebrooks when was that that would have been it was a close season was that 2014 so I, would, I, would, I would probably guess the close season in the summer of 2013, I would guess. I'm not as good a historian as you guys, and that's something that's more history. So no, it's just because we were talking about it earlier. I mean, we're trying to pinpoint when, when that was, because you know, obviously spoke on the back of the, the lorry before we moved. And of course, I just mentioned it, but the minute book, I mean, they, they, that we decided to move from Kinning Park to Ibrox, and right. the supporters, and also the Sons of Truth, and organised us to replicate that in the support march to Ibrox that day. Um, which was yeah, I, I really don't, important. don't often we organised that. That that was the main driver, but I remember at the time of the planning, it, it became aware, yeah. and we thought, no, that's that's nailed on. We yeah. need to do it because yeah. Yeah. we were trying to protect Ibrooks at the time. So that's doing right, the journey from Kinnan Park along Paisley Road yeah. West. Another thing that was handy with that point was the three pubs in a triangle there, <laughs> which are all Rangers <laughs> friendly. I ended up in the Loudon after that. You, 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 yeah, um, it was funny because it was it was uh, I think it was June maybe July, but it was the worst day was, that summer. It was stolen, stolen, rain, that's right. Aye. But it was still an incredible turnout. There was, and it was fantastic. There was a guy that was organising that. I was in and out the grapes in the district, and I'm going. There's a few people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's going to look rubbish when we start. Mm-hmm. And then we went up onto the the truck that um, right. Andy Smiley had got was with the the scaffold so, and protection aye. in it. And when we got in the tannoy, just people, obviously the pub's emptied. Uh, or in people the coming out of trees and out of cars and out of horses. And I thought, and I, brilliant. I remember so we were all standing on top of it and yeah. I thought, this is, this is fine. There was thousands. There was thousands. And it was, it was incredible as well because just as we we're about to start, the rain stopped. And it might be the same people that were helping that day that you think are helping you using your, 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 your fines. I had the stewards Jacob at that point as well. <laughs> I will. We needed something for three hundred to let it go. Right, so you might be getting Ah, you're that. Okay. <laughs> that, that was we Sandy's job that day was to make sure we had enough uh, stewards or the police weren't going to let us go. So thanks Actually, for doing that. Uh, no, I was all right. <laughs> so um, during lock, lockdown came. How did that affect you? Is obviously you can't go, and then when you came back out of lockdown, well, it, well it's kind of still affecting us now because obviously we had to cancel so many tours and. But, uh, thankfully, people have been really, really good. Not a lot of people wanted refunds. They were happy to take vouchers, which is magic. But they're still using the vouchers now. So we're having to use a bigger coach to, to 
to get people on because we've got so many vouchers. So up until today, you're still three years later getting affected by the knock-on effect. Oh, yeah. oh aye, aye. as I say, we'd, yeah. we'd, I don't know how many uh, vouchers we gave it just for the, the COVID thing, you know. But people were brilliant about it. That was, you know, especially at Christmas time, maybe with Father's Day, you know, people were phoning saying, now during COVID saying, look, will the tour come back? And we're like, well, surely COVID isn't going to be here forever. Because yeah. I want to buy these gift vouchers, but I don't want to lose the use of them, you know, I said, no, guaranteed. So, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So those people are still coming back. People are finding them in drawers and things like this, you know. And, We're still honouring um, them anyway. They all got honoured. Yeah, they all got honoured. That's incredible that obviously you think you got a backlog because of the tours that were cancelled, but you still had people buying tour seats. Yeah. Oh, I was none but definitely. Christmas and Father's Day and birthdays, they, yeah. they, they were cancelled, of course, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, people were buying their book and, and the gift vouchers. And I think that's testament to the high regard that the, the founders trailed in, that people were still doing that and still De- paying their whatever it is to, to buy yeah. vouchers. I mean, the, the, club did, the club advertised it for a long time and that. Obviously, I think it was a kind of build up for spawn, um, advertising revenues and stuff like that. They were doing us for free, which was brilliant, by the way. But obviously, we knew that was going to come to an end, but it's never really held, held us back because it's then worth Absolutely. a mouth. People want to go and it's it's there, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. Um, <clears throat> and you then started doing the Restoration of Graves project, which is another fantastic thing that probably a lot of Rangers fans are aware of, but not all of them. Um, so how, how's that going for you? Oh, yes, it's, it's gone. It's gone exceptionally well. It was, it was natural when we were doing the research. We would focus on an individual and take their story to a conclusion. And sadly, when we reached that conclusion, we found a lot of these guys lying in unmarked graves, or stones that were lying broken, lying in the grass. You know, or some of them that just need a good last clean and uh, and, and a relettering. And uh, we decided back that was 2013-14. You know, um, to put an appeal out to to the worldwide drain of support. Um, for donations uh, to start repairing these plots. And without surprise, the the, the, the donations came in. The Rangers family, they'll, they'll always pull together um, for a good cause. And and we started we started re-erecting these stones and putting stones in. Uh, the 1877 team, that I mentioned again, that, that famous photograph with the white jersey and the star, um, we've managed to locate and restore every one of the players Wow, pictured. Um, Sir Peter Campbell. Peter sadly he died at sea, but we went to Penarth Port where his boat left from, and we got a plaque put up down there um, in 2016-17, I think that was for Peter. Since then, uh, it's been 73 
what's the, the restoration project has managed yeah. to help restore. During the research within Creighton Cemetery, we'd found an old Rangers player, James McIntyre, uh, and we just actually turned that day and straight behind him, straight across the pathway from was the final resting place of one of our fellow supporters, a boy, George Nelson. George was one of two boys that died in Stairway 13 in September 1961, along another fellow, Tommy Thompson. And the original, Ibrox Stars. Yep. Oh, sorry about that, um, in the second I, I, winter. I, 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 and uh, <coughs> we, we managed to make contact with his family through social media, and we, we restored George's stone and, and the plot. The family, big Rangers family, they, they, they live local. Remember, Ibrox, they came along and did founders trail with us. We then decided to expand it and help those bereaved by the Ibrox disaster. Um, of course, that was in January 1971, and uh, the project has managed to help 38 families now. Bereaved. Sadly, through the passage of time, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of people have either passed on themselves or moved away. And of course, we don't do any work on any plots without getting family permission first. Um, but we managed to help 38 families, um, and there's been fundraisers off the back of that. There's a boy, Robert Carrigan, uh, was one of four boys from Kirk and Tillock who died. Um, we'd we, we, we done James Ray, or, yeah, we'd done James Ray's stone. That was one of his friends. His brother was actually one of our bus drivers from parts of Hamilton, and um, we were sitting, and Billy told us his story, and he said, and he said yeah, it was my brother. Wow. And we said, right, okay, let's see the plot. We got, we got it restored, and, uh, and and on the back of that, there's another boy, Robert Carrigan. His brother contacted me, we restored Roberts. And then Harry Carrigan and his friend, Andy, um, they said, we're going to have a fundraiser for you in the Kirk and Tillett Rangers. And we said, that's very kind of you. That's fantastic. You know, I didn't know exactly what they meant. They got an Elvis tribute act along. <laughs> this was just a couple of months ago. I remember seeing it. It sold out within an hour oh. and raised almost £3,000 for the project. That kind of stuff's going on, and it's it's it's, it's overwhelming. It's incredible. Even even players across Colin Steen played a, an important role that day. We were down doing one of our presentations in Plymouth a few years back, and during the second half of the presentation, we cover the story of the restorations, the before and after visuals are on the screen, and we were going back to the airport on the coach, and Colin shouted us down and says, "Tell me more about this restoration thing." Gave him some more details, went over it again, and then uh, he says, right, you get contact details. A few weeks later, Rangers contacts and said, there's something at a girl reception for you. We went across and Colin had went and got a top sign with the Barcelona Bears. Stuck it into a frame, or it goes to the internet, and that was almost £2,000 raised. Incredible gestures and, you know, incredible generosity um, with supporters and, and, and ex-players alike. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> there's a keen interest when it was the times you were doing Struths. Um, yep. Restoration, and it just you know de- dealing with that it's at arm's length these yeah. guys were right in the middle of it but seeing the reaction of the rangers fans the offers of help for rangers fans they offer the financial support definitely it's just that it's actually incredible that um don't get me wrong we we go we, the club have said to us in a couple of occasions look if the, if the project's ever short of funds don't hesitate in chapping the door but we're keen that the work is done and funded by this generation of Rangers supporters. It's our way of saying thanks to the guys that formed the club and many others after them, and also remembering our fellow supporters and their families. We, that's important to us. You know, it's, it's a nice gesture for the club, but we're saying that we're going to do this, and it's going to be this generation. So when we move on, those that come behind us will be able to see the work that's been done 
Um, as I say, but that's but this generation. I, I tend to agree with that. I think it's important. Uh, I mean, the club, I, I, you know, I've had personal uh, situations with the club where they've helped things financially. I've seen it firsthand. But I think it's nice that the gesture's there and mm. the offer's there. But yeah. I think the fact that it's just done by your, you know, your, your rank and file fans. Right. And it, it, even the guys that, you know, can I do this? I'd be honoured to paint the names in and That's right. all these things that personalises it a lot. And, right. and, and I think it makes the, the Rangers fans feel part of it. Maybe cherish these things right. a bit more because it's not the club. And that's no disrespect to the club or the, the, right. the stewards at the, at the club. I think it's just fact that there's better buy-in when, when, when it comes. I think there's a, there's a kind of untapped resource with the fans and the club. And a lot of people do the kind of running with eyebrows and all that sort of stuff. A lot of doing the chatterings. But there's a lot of help out there that the club could probably turn to maybe use. I don't know what it is, but you can just see there anytime you like to do something always offers you know at the end of the day it's about giving these guys back a bit of dignity and respect which is important you know we, we do have a presentation evenings we go to supporters clubs and organizations and uh and we show again the visuals during the second half before and after the restorations and then we send our donations bucket around about at the end of the night and that's where the majority of the the, the revenue the, the revenue comes in to let us continue doing the restorations you know so some clubs will say no don't bother with your bucket we've got a check for you and again, the, the generosity, they were fellow supporters and the other organisations like the Orange and the Masonic Lodges and Apprentice Boys is nothing short of you know, it's yeah. incredible. And I think for something that you, you've not been doing for that long time, but I think it's getting known throughout. I mean, there's very few fans nowadays wouldn't know about that work. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it or, you know, uh, at least know about it. Social media will obviously help that. But it's testament to you guys that that's became a thing. That, that's so well well known around the um Rangers fan base. So where are you up to at the moment? What he's working on with the, the graves? Is there any any that you've got ongoing now that are interesting or ones you There was a Rangers great um fellow by the name of Nicol Smith. Um he played in the team at one of the first Scottish uh, Cup. Yep. And they fought were first in eighteen ninety four and were first title. Which is yeah, done battle. Sorry, he played in the, the, the that team that went unbeaten, the eighteen yeah. league games. Um, and uh, Gordon had an idea of where he was in a cemetery down in Darville in Ayrshire and we made inroads into that and contacted the council and there was a plaque. Unfortunately, we couldn't find in any current family members. So that that that, that stops us with the council actually putting a stone in okay. because the title deeds have got to be got, etc. Mm -hmm. and a family member. But they allowed us to put a ground plaque. And again, it was an unmarked grave and that's now, it's now been marked um, so it's it's constantly evolving like that, you know. Um, we'll just start researching some of the story. The, the famous 1879 team, they were the first Rangers team to win a trophy, Aye. the Glasgow Merchants Charity Cup. And we're going to start focusing on that team now and seeing, see where that takes us as far as the restorations go. And was there a big change in squad between those two? two there was a few extra one. players. Um, it was actually pretty good because... It, some good came out of this. Somebody contacted us um, and he wasn't sure he said, I've got this medal. Um, James Drennan, he played in the cup final under an alias because he was selling apprentice. But they had this medal, James Drennan, for that, that game. And I was like, to me. And I'd been looking for James Drennan's grave for years and eventually I found it and, it. and I traced his family tree back to this guy and he was delighted. He's now going to uh, pass the medal on for the museum. So that's him. Now we've got another. We've got Peter Campbell's medal for that same game, and we're going to get James Drennan's. Can you guys sure. remember the story about the 
the oldest medal that was in and they had it hanging on and somebody found it in a park. Ah, that's Peter Campbell's. Right. That was Peter Campbell, one of the founders. That was his medal from that 1879 um, Merchants Cup final. Yeah. I had the, the honour of taking a, a, a tour round um, a group of uh, kids with issues up to the training ground, getting all right. physical issues, and then we took them back to Ibrox um, for a tour. And it hadn't long been hung up at the time. So the story was told about this medal and how it, I can't remember the name of the park, you guys will, when you know, it was recently found and it's been donated into the club and it's been put on display. And it was a girl on the tour, it was her uncle, that found it. Well, and that was, there's a, just recently we've done um, a presentation at the Blue Star uh, Club and one of the guys in there asked for the photo of him. And he worked with the two guys involved in finding the medal. And she's like, I've done a, a, a story about it and that. Or maybe let you see it later on email. It's, it's long. It's an incredible story itself, isn't it? That just uh, what happened to the guy, you know, because he was an Ibrox disaster, wasn't he? That's right. What, the and guy that found the medal? Aye, aye. The oh. guy that, the, the, aye, the guy that found the medal once, aye. Mm-hmm. And um, they, took, they actually thought he was dead. They took him into one of the, the, the I think it was a wee dressing room he was in. One of the nurses um, clocked that he, he was tears running into his face and he was wow. still alive. Yeah, I mean, that's something you know. But I like you say, I like you say, it's a long story. But um, see, the likes of that and that personal thing with that aye. girl in there that day, mm-hmm. it's, it's stuff that that, that I, I started thinking about it probably about 2013 14 before regime change. And I was like, this is certainly in the days just after it. Rangers are at heart a family club, oh, but with an international following. Aye, and aye. You, everywhere there's links and stories and weird things that just happen. That, oh, aye. That, um, that blows. And I, I've got my own personal one I need to thank you for. That was the day we took up to Cathcart Cemetery. Aye, yeah, aye, and we were looking at the Wilton, Nicole and Craig. The, the, the chairman. Aye. On a little triangle. And by pure luck, we were looking at Wilton's and there was the name of his, his, his wife. That's right, and, aye, and that's... I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. She's, his wife is called Houston. And the weird thing about that is the, the, the fact that she had her maiden name on her stone, that was probably not the normal way people done it. Mm. And then I put a wee photograph it out one night on social media, I think it was that night after you took me up. Aye. And I went, oh, here we go. The one good thing is we've learned that Mr. Wilton had good taste in the women and thought nothing of it because they were afraid. Um, um, Lars and that time it'd have been like gone with somebody for Australia. Um <laughs> and I thought because my family were for you know Brighton. And um this guy grabbed it and went away and he came back, done a bit of work. That was his hobby, was oh, the genealogy stuff. Came back to find out that I was related to share uh, my great 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 grandfather was her great grandfather's brother. Aye. And you're like, all right, you've no, you no blood to, to Wilton, but Aye, there's a connection there. Aye, his kids are the same yeah. blood as me. And, and, and I, I found that out purely because of your guy, you guys. Because if you yeah, said he's taking up there that the day. The whole family thing, you, you, you're dead right you said there, you know. I mean, we just we just spoke there about, about Colin Steen, you know. And I was sitting there thinking that the link Colin had um, with Ibrox disaster was Margaret Ferguson died the day of Ibrox disaster. She was the only female that died. And Margaret Ferguson knew Colin and his family and she went to his house the week of the game with a teddy bear and uh because Colin's wife had no long that's right a baby and says you scored a goal for me at the weekend Colin scored oh, Agra no. never came back that, that, that's just it, 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 it still has it, it, still, it wasn't until after that that I 
it all started to gel together why Colin was so interested in the restoration thing, uh, the restoration project. And uh, we went through, um, there was a there's, there's a stone too, Margaret Ferguson, of course, in New Ravenside Cemetery, but a memorial bench there. And that was weather beaten. So we got that taken away. Again, a Rangers supporter. I specialise in these benches. I mean, what's the chances of that happening? The guy took it away um, to, his, to his workshop in Hart Hill, stripped it all back, revarnished it, put it back as good as new. And and that was Margaret Ferguson's family touched with the project and, of course, Colin Steen, which was an incredible link. Yeah, these things just fascinate me. Because, uh, you know, how does the universe spin for that to happen? That, that yeah. knock-on yeah. effect oh, is yeah. quite incredible. Um, now, you mentioned that you took the Rangers directors out in the... I remember that. I remember that happening. That was not long after uh, regime change from memory. Ah, yeah, that's right. Aye. Apart from that, have you had any other really famous or well-known people you've, you've uh, had in your tours? Davy Wilson, the late great uh, Davy Wilson, Wilson, came along with his family and did the tour. And we, we tend to bump into, them, and most specifically, the Barcelona Bears when we're doing my presentation. Even as Dave Smith came along to a couple, didn't he? I still, I still laugh at that. Obviously, it's like a, you know, similar ages and that, and Barcelona is the greatest achievement, the players and that, and you were a kid growing up and you were looking up to these guys and that, they're like that to you, and that, and like, fucking Colin Steen's talked to me. It's absolutely yeah, incredible, I mean, it's you just know, it's, I, I, Willie I, Johnson. I went to a, a Barcelona Bear anniversary dinner um, for them a couple of years back, and just walked into the hotel for you, and uh, into the bar, and I heard the voice saying, how are you doing? And I looked and it was called, how's the restoration project going? Straight away, you know, and I was like, a guy actually remembered that I crossed, you know, and it was, he's like, do you need any help? Do you need any help? Just speak to me. I'll get things done for you. And that, 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 that kind of stuff. It still is a It's just, honestly, I, I'm like, if you could understand what that means yeah. to me as an individual mm-hmm. and the project. I think you'd probably underestimate the, the knock-on effects of going in people's lives. Because Rangers is the, the passion for thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands, I don't know how many. Um, People uh, and even the information that you guys have, you know, uncovered and you, you get out through your tour and through the, the roadshows, you probably underestimate the, the the respect that gains you as, as people. That you know, you're just doing what you were doing pre two thousand and seven, finding information, uh, getting out because uh, of your passion and desire to learn about the subject matter. But I don't. You probably don't underestimate the the knock on effect he's having others. The story's that good, by the way. That's the thing. There's that many stories out there that have never been told. Ian mentioned, even just the wee family things, like Ian mentioned um, James McIntyre, nickname was Tuck. He's one of the early players. He was in the second wave. He was a captain, committee guy. He was well-loved. I can tell you loads of stories. We went, and says, we found his grave in Craigton across for George Nelson's, right? We'll get that fixed up. That'll be magic. All it needs is just Cleans and relettered. So that magic. And then the wee boy died in Craigton. And the council went on a sweeping shove test. So we went back to see it. And there was up in Tuckstone was done, right? We'll get that fixed back up that night. So once it was, it was actually it was one Valentine's Day, we went back to Craigton to do a few things. And we noticed the stone been put back up. So we left a note, or Ian left a note. Had been fresh. Because it was family there, aye. Well, it, she left a note, and it turned out it was his uh, Tuck's granddaughter, Vivian. It's an older lady. But um, she got in contact with us, and so we arranged to meet her. She gave us photographs of him in an older age. He, he was a member of the, the, 
it was a bowling club. The Bell Houston Bowling Club. I was based just next to the servicemen's club at the motorway. Yeah, yeah. It was there, and he lived in the corner for that and that. I mean, so, and in return, I was getting hundreds of uh, articles about Tuck. And there was one for 1891. Buffalo Bills were in Duke Street at this time, right? It was, it was Will West Show. Was it, was it the real Buffalo Bill or just a cowboy uh, no, for no, Duke Street? No, it was, no, it was a... <laughs> <laughs> there's still no, no a few Buffalo uh, Bills up uh, Duke Street. Uh, <laughs> a few Indians. And, uh, and it was like me, uh, uh, the article says, I, um, this time, Tuck had finished playing, but he owned the pub, the one Natural Oval got. So he owned that pub. And he was getting a team together, Republicans, Tom Valens, George Gillespie, uh, him to play against the Cowboys for Buffalo Bills, Will Westshaw. Um, and his negotiations with Buffalo Bill. Basically, <laughs> crazy. Buffalo Bill. She says, but me Buffalo Bill. She says, your granddad was pals with Buffalo Bill. <laughs> just blew her mind. Amazing. These things are just it's uh, weird things like that. Strange things that you, you know, this Rangers guy ends up, uh, you know, a relationship with Buffalo Bill. Uh, but did the did the Cowboys turn up with an oval football, or did they know what they were doing? Again, never went ahead. I never went ahead in negotiations. Yeah, like he. Um, Buffalo Bill replied in a letter saying, look, you guys wouldn't know what you're doing. But then he... Did well, referee a game at Celtic Park yeah. from the Wild West Show? Buffalo Bill. Top McIntyre, you referee. The, the world's first Masonic referee. Uh, <laughs> that was the thing as well. <laughs> Allegedly uh, not the last. <laughs> aye. The, the Masonic uh, um, Hall where Tuck Lodge was a member of, or he was a member of, is still there. And it's where the, the grounds were. And a lot of the Cowboys Indians joined that Masonic Lodge. So, so I wasn't, I wasn't joking there. <laughs> uh, 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 that's, just, that's a story. That's a book in itself. Uh, somebody well, we, 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 we did a presentation uh, on Masonic Lodge. Aye. Uh, so it's, uh, I think it's St. Mark's, is it? it was the one that he was in, and uh, and it was cowboys and Indians joined the. Did he use a square compass or a yeah. TP as an emblem? Did he? Then? A tomahawk. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. Buffalo Bill did end up appearing at Ibrox Hay for a game. I did. Aye, 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 and. I think he was getting slated to relent his hair. One of the reports he would read yeah. said, you know, it appeared the pavilion, Tom Valance was there, it said, with his um, 18 and Harold up on his shoulders, his Buffalo Bill came on at the field range, were playing Queen's Park, I think, yeah, that day. But credit. They had whiskers as well, didn't they? So we never got a game at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, see how all the, 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 um, all the stories, not necessarily ones you've found, right? It might be. But out all the stories about Rangers from founding fathers up to, you know, moving to uh, Ibrox and it's early history there. What's your personal favourites? What's your, the ones that get you in here? For me, it, we, we covered it earlier on, but for me is the age of them and their sheer will and determination to succeed and make sure Rangers kept moving forward. For, for me, that, that, that stands out above it all. The legislators and the people that run football today can do what they like, you know, with the rules and bend this and do and change that and bring in things like VAR. But at the end of the day, the, the whole ethos of football is about that self-determination to succeed and win. And that's exactly what those kids did back in the 18s. But what we see often, you know, when we, we go by Kelvin Grove Park, that's but that's when they first strolling first discussed the possibility of forming their own football club. Like, all it could have taken was one of them to say, that's a lousy idea. We'll go do something else. What would have happened? But they didn't. And and, and they stuck at it. And they say, Wally Dunlop says they were doing their training that's six nights a week, keeping Rangers moving forward, fundraising, 
you know what, and they wanted to take on the best, they were right to Queen's Park, send down your first team, they refused. You know, we'll send them our second team. We'll not play your second team. We want to play your first team. That whole ethos of football will never change, you know. And we've seen it. We've seen it at the weekend, just last Saturday at Ibrox. That Rangers team that looked like a new team, but they did well to win. And they weren't going to get beaten Saturday. And I th- that's, that, that's been through our club since those founders put the, the building blocks in place. And that, for me, is always the thing that gets me excited. Yeah. You know, we'll go along to a tour. We're going to be telling a new group this wonderful, wonderful story. And people come up to us during the tour or after it and say, I had no idea about the rage. Mm-hmm. No idea. You know, well, uh, that to me is probably one of the biggest things that you guys have gave me because we all knew it was four guys. Mm-hmm. But when I learned the age of them and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. hold on a minute, that is incredible that they actually get past the first game or the first year mm-hmm. as, yeah. as, as kids and children. Yeah. And then when you factor in the first Scottish Cup, wasn't it that long? You know, there the, were still some of them under 21 year old, and we're, you know, around about 21 year old, I suppose. So you're talking about youngest. 17 and stuff like that, the first one. We just didn't get into the first one, but I think the name change was a, that was part of the kind of thing that was happening then, because um, the, I think the reason why we changed from being Western, like I said, was the Western Cricket Club decided we're entering the Scottish Cup, we've got guys who are going to be in the committee of the Scottish Cup. So we are having a football team in the Scottish Cup. And I think that's why we had to change our name from Western. At that, or about that same time, that September 1873, October. Well, at the beginning of the report in 1873, when the Scottish Football Association was formed, the Rangers didn't receive an invite mm-hmm. to join because they weren't being taken seriously Aye. with clubs such as Queen's Park. But again, it could have been easily used as an excuse. Oh, come on, we're wasting our time here. But no, they stayed and they kept working hard until they were accepted. Which is which is a brilliant story on its own. I, I think, and obviously, you two know that I run a kids' football team now, and see the life lesson that that should be able to be used Aye. for the current generation, because the current generation happens instant. If it doesn't happen instant, they don't That's want right. the expectations. Aye. A lot. I can look at the wrong. No, I'm interested as well. Yeah, yeah, good so. kids. Sometimes I think kids get a bad rep. They're not all the same, but so the generalisation as they want instant success because they're used to seeing it in the TV. We have these programs with. Sing one good song and Simon Kyle makes you a millionaire. Uh, and I think the life lessons that you could teach the next generation from those four boys is, is, is incredible. So, what's your highlight of the Rangers story? Up, the, the well, I've, got, I've got a couple of wee funny ones that I quite like. I like the one that we tell on the tour. Um, we were playing Celtic in the Cup final in 1893. We weren't fancied at all. They were they were a strong team then. And, and, uh, and and they were all gathered outside Tom Balance's club, Viceroy, basically, waiting to find out the score. Um, and there was runners would come in, was wee boys, and this wee boy, they described him as an urchin, turns up, it's three man at Rangers and that. They obviously didn't believe him, so he set about him. <laughs> and he was, he was here to say, straight between did if it's not true. Rangers will beat Celtic. You know, that was before radio and television had been invented. So that's today's Viceroy Bar, which was Tom Balance's club restaurant, and the supporters would start to gather out there near the end of the game, waiting on a runner. Come, if you went to the match, wouldn't a runner either come if he Hamden or Ibrooks, and that's what happened to uh, that. Boy, that don't believe kid, me. That day, they, they believed him, so they said about the, the other <laughs> one was, 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 was um, I always, I always laugh at this one, but it's slightly sad. But uh, George Gillespie, he finished playing. Now, see, see me look across the map, was it 
Guruk first, then Greenock. Or is it Greenock? You go down Greenock, then Guruk. Right. So it was a, uh, it was a Sunday and his mother lived. That's the lads in him coming out. You aye, see that there? Because the next door's the lads, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so what was it? What's the wee village after Roseneath heading west? Gary went there. Anyway, so Craig, Craig, right? Yeah. Craig, yeah. right? So George Gillespie's mother lived in Craig, and she ran a hotel that right, she was on her deathbed. And this was a Sunday, and George got windy, right? Okay, so he jumped the train, train to Greenock, um, walked through Greenock to Gurok, gets to the, the bar. I said, Right, can somebody take me there? And they're like, Oh, no, there's no boats, and they're like, Because there's a har, big, strong har, and you can't get there, and that, you know, can somebody take me now? The guy that owned the hotel says, look, take my boat if you want. Okay, then I'll jump that, you know. So he starts rowing across. A rowboat. A rowboat, right. So it's, I don't know how many miles it is, right, but it's directly across. So he's like, right, he starts rowing across. And quite boggy and hard, man, you know. I'll just keep blowing my whistle. Because there's going to be paddle steamers coming up and down here. <laughs> so he's blowing his whistle as he's rowing out. <laughs> and he says, halfway across, the boat swung a leak. So what did he do? He starts bailing out his bowler hat. <laughs> Eventually gets across and all that. He's more survived him getting there. I create that. And I think the end of that because he's but the following week his mum died. And I was like, <laughs> all, all that effort and I run across, bailing out with the bowler hat, blowing the whistle. George Gillespie's part of that 1877 team. He's right. he's, he's buried up in uh, Lamb Hill. Aye. We, we cleaned his stone. In fact, his his family, his granddaughter gave us his great granddaughter. They came across Aye. from America. They contacted. They, they, they were doing their own family tree onto Google, and our website came up, and uh, they contacted us. And it was Barbara and Emil. That's right. Um, they were related, and they came all the way across um, from Vancouver. It was, in fact, they came all the way across, and we got them in the car and took them up to where George Gillespie lived in Glasgow, where he was buried, and then a wee stadium tour. Um, so the project touching family. That is that's really special. No, I, I think your, your your story is incredible. Um, what happens next? We just um, keep going. We've got presentations oh, um, lined up over the next few weeks um, all over the country. Uh, again, that was a concept. We, we, back in 2013-14, it's becoming more and more apparent um, that. A lot of the supporters, buses, let's place like Aberdeen and Fort Moore, Peterhead, everything is about getting to Ibrox and Max Day and home again. You couldn't expect people to stay overnight just to do the Founders Trail. So we thought, well, let's take the story out to them. And uh, we, we, we constructed uh, a roadshow and take it out via screen and we tell the story. Um, and we've got bookings covering this for the next few weeks and months. Aye. And the Founders Trail is continuing to sell out. But again, it's just... I get the impression from time to time that people think I'm not going to bother, it's always sold out. But spaces become available regularly. As people realise they're booked, they've got something else on, they'll move date. And we're just constantly slotting slotting dates. And what we always try to emphasise is on the weekend of a match, Rangers, of course, can't play twice. They can't play the Saturday or Sunday. If the Rangers game gets moved to the Sunday for live TV, we move to the Saturday and vice versa. So it's never cancelled, it'll always run. Uh, and that, that's, that's this Saturday as well, isn't it? That's, 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 that's it's, 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 it just keeps going on and on. Um, the restorations as well, on the back of it. Um, so the two of you, I'm trying to guess, are probably about 30, 35 year old. He's <laughs> a bremo in my 20s. <laughs> so I, I had hair when this started. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had hair? 
but I think um, so. No, let's look into the future. You're seventy, you're eighty, you're more able or willing to desire to do them. After a desire will still be there to take it. But what's the progression for the founders' trail as time goes on? We all got a son and two grandsons there, and I'm really hoping that they'll eventually step into my shoes. You know, I mean, I kind of dropped the idea as a kind of joke to my son a couple of years ago. Nope, I'll, I'll not be doing that. But if I look back when I was 28, 29, 30, I couldn't have done this either. As I said to me back at the start, you know, with that, with that very brief meeting, God said that somebody's going to need to do the tour again, it's not going to be me. And, and, and I was like, well, I'm not doing it. But somebody had to do it. Uh, and we, we, we just done it. And it's just through a love and a belief in what we do, that gives us the confidence. See, see we both have... Have one drums within, you know, do the, the the commentary and stuff like that. I do all research and and I mean, there's like the, the only thing we do together is the emails. You know, do the emails during the day, and I'll do my emails um, at night. Um, so there's always going to be somebody answering an email. So we both do it at the same time, but we do it, you know, sort of the buses, or, and I'll do. It. There's loads of different jobs, but we don't. The only job we share is emails, which works. I think that's what makes it work for us as well, is the fact that we concentrate on what we've got to do and it's done right. You know, the website said, you know, Gordon's working on that, updating it constantly, you know, and he's, he's fantastic at that. You know, people can just go on now and click on the day and they get their email ticket through their confirmation and it's easy as that. I mean, it was never like that. We were basically no. we were writing people's names down and who was cancelled and who was coming along, you know, but Gordon's his abilities kept chatting away and kept chatting away at that, you know, and we're proud to say Aye. that our Rangers website works and it's very easily, it's very, it's very easy to use. See, we, we, don't, don't, we don't have a basket. We, 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 don't, <laughs> we don't rely on other people, right? Um, like, say, the handouts, I did artwork and handouts and I get them printed. Simple, right? You know what I mean? There's no, uh, there's what we want and somebody else is doing it. We have full control over the website and anything goes out. So that, that's it. We both do plenty of jobs each, and we're good at the jobs that we do. I, th I think I've got to know the both probably over about a 10 year period. And mm. I think one of the things that works for the organisation of the Founders Trail is these are two different characters with two different skill sets. And I think. 100%. Yep. I, yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? It, it definitely, that's what I was trying to emphasise here as well. Like, so, uh, I do the kind of artwork and the technical side and the research side. When an Ian organises, stuff, do you know what I mean, the, the buses and, and updates of commentary, do you know what I mean? Um, no, it, it definitely works, that's how it works by the way, because we have our own jobs, we've got to do it, do you know what I mean? So if anybody was interested in um, any groups getting the, the roadshow to them, what, what's the best way for people out there to contact you that don't already know where to find you? Drop us an email, foundertrail at gmail.com uh, it's, uh, it's on the website, the links on the website and stuff like that. And we have send out the details Aye. Uh, and is there anything you need is there anything that the rangers fans can help you with is there any extra jobs that you could do a hand with that would make it even bigger make your life a wee bit easier maybe um give you something back yeah. i think it's really just just our continued support which is aye, which aye, has been that's... overwhelming you know come along do the trail with the guys coming along you know maybe with a couple of friends and saying I'm going to come back and do this again. I'm going to bring my son with me because he's got to hear that story. He's got to have an understanding and they do come back. Some people, again, you, you highlighted yourself earlier on about the, about the wealth information, maybe having to do it, you know, the second time, you know, it's the books there, of course, which people can read at their leisure. Mm -hmm. um, 
But no, it's really just just to continue giving us their fantastic support through the restoration project with the donations that keeps that moving, um, attending the road shows and coming along to the Founders Trail and getting an understanding of exactly what Rangers Football Club means and how it all came about. It's, just, it's highlighted during this, it didn't come about all by accident. It was with the hard work of those boys that made sure that we are sitting here today. Because I always, I always get the impression as we always like to think that at the end of the tour, before they go to Ibrox, people walk away with a different look at the club. You see the club differently because it's because it's it really does open people's eyes to to the actual whole organisation. We we suffer a lot from uh, bad propaganda about the club and bad the Protestants thing and blah 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 all that, but it, but it's not like that. The club is just. Uh, started as young boys forming a club and pushing it forward. Everything else came later, and that was just a kind of for me. It was a it was a city split in two anyway. That that was going to happen. Anyway. We're going to pick our sides, but, but a lot of people seem to think that the club was was born as a product. It's no, it's just young boys, and it, it could have been like a bowling club with committees that were shot as a president. And that's it. They worked hard to keep their new club going. The love of football and the pursuit of sporting excellence. That's what they've done. That was their driving force. Uh, we, we spoke earlier about during the, the Spiv years, if you like, and people people were, were, were literally broken back then and a real panic. And we would get people walking a, away from Creighton. Creighton's were final stop before before Ibrox and saying, I've managed to reconnect with my club now. Mm. I thought I was losing it. I thought yeah. it was slipping through my fingers, but I managed yeah. to reconnect. We'll never lose this club. I said, no, we won't. We won't lose it. It'll always, it'll always be there, you know. Um, but again, don't get me wrong, we, we sailed pretty close to the wind um, a couple of times during that period. And again, thanks to yourself and... The sons I was of, alone, mate. I was just sons, alone. sons of truth, you know, we've made sure that we got back to, to where we should have been. I think something's just happened with me there, what you were saying back in those days, particularly my own journey, which was 2012 through 2015. Um... And you probably helped that without me even considering at the time. We, we, we having all this knowledge about the club and the foundations of formative years of the club and, and being desperate not to lose that. So I hadn't thought about it before until you, you were saying at the same time people were coming away from Craigton. Yeah. And I think subconsciously I would I, I would have been that person as well. Um so I, I probably owe you some thanks for that as well. Yeah. But um listen, it's I think the, the story that, that, that these kids created that you've been able to now inform the Rangers fans and finding out all this new information and and you know making the story more visible um, is, is phenomenal. The, the job you have done in such a relatively short space of time because you think 2009 when you started doing the, the trail today it's not that big a chunk of time. And the job you've done is, is fantastic. And what I didn't want to do today was get you on and let's just talk about the history of the Rangers. And let's we could do Aye. we could do ten podcasts about that. Um, it was more, and we've done it, and I can only thank you for that. It's find out about you, how did it happen, you know, how does it evolve, yeah. and all that. So, you know, I can only thank you for two things. One, um, the job you've done to help me in my journey as a Rangers fan, Aye. but coming on that show today and sharing it with me. So, guys, thank you very much. Well, thanks, all, all the best Honestly, going forward. Really thanks enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Bringing us up. Okay. Thanks very much. Mate. Cheers, Craig. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.